This is First Draft, a dialogue on writing produced at Aspen Public Radio. I'm Mitzi Rabkin. First Draft highlights the voices of writers as they discuss their work, their craft, and the literary arts. My guest is Irish writer Kevin Barry. He is the author of two short story collections and a novel, City of Bohan. He has won the European Union Prize for Literature, was shortlisted for the Costa First Novel Award, and won a Sunday Times Short Story Award. Dark Lies the Island has 13 short stories that include tales of middle-aged men seeking the perfect pint of ale, a pair of old ladies prowling the countryside for a child to kidnap, and a haggard poet moving to the seaside to take over an inn that was built in 1648. I began by asking Kevin Barry for his description of Dark Lies the Island, the story collection. There's a beautiful quote from, I think, Mr. Nabokov, where he describes his own writing as laughter in the dark. And I think I, I, I would be hard-pressed to come up with a better description, I think, of, of, of my stories. I think they're very often on dark themes, on troubling themes, very troubled characters often. But I hope there's humor in them. Most of the stories have a, have a bit of fun along the way. So, so I think Laughter in the Dark is, a, is, a, is about as succinct as, a, as I could get it. Does this mixture of laughter and darkness describe who you are, or are you saying something about the Irish mentality? Yeah, I guess we are um, connoisseurs of bleakness in some way. I would say most of my stories, not all of them, but most of them are at some level comedies, um, often very black, very dark comedies. And I think that comedy is the most naturally human mode of discourse in the way that in the kind of when I talk about comedy it's in the sense of if you if, if you didn't laugh you'd cry very often with some of the topics but very many of my favorite writers growing up and many of my favorites still on my bookshelves here would at some level I think be, be, be comic writers I'd even think about somebody like um, say Saul Bellow who, who might naturally not naturally be considered at immediate at immediate um, at immediate first glance to be to be a comic writer but if you read something like Herzog story of a, a nervous breakdown but very funny all along the way there are laughs to be had and, and I really admired that I think it's a very naturally um, a very naturally true mode as well I, I think that we get through life with laughter more, more than anything else in terms of getting this this humor and darkness is that something you have to work on you know is that hard to get this balance well, I work as a writer, I guess, very much with the ear. Um, very often the stories will come in, well, the, the initial inspiration will be a line of talk um, that I've overheard and that just sticks in my in my head for a while. Um, so, so, so I like to write dialogue. And I think if you can, if you can get someone's voice, you can get almost everything else about them in that. You can get the soul as, uh, as, as long as you get the, how they speak. Um, so I would hope, uh, I don't think you can force the funny, if you like. I think it has to come naturally. It has to be naturally sprung from the way people speak and the way they're, they're reacting to the situation as it unfolds around them. But um, I'm, I'm wary of, of, of comic fiction that would have exclamation marks, if you know what I mean. So it, it has to be there naturally. It has to come from, 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 from the story itself. As far as this balance between darkness and humor, do you think that you have, like, something can't be funny on its own or dark on its own that in, in terms of creating a full story that you need each together? No, I guess, I mean, for example, with the, the, the title story in, of the collection, Dark Lies the Island, it's possibly the only story I've ever written, I think, that doesn't have even a single element of humor in it there's no funny in it it's 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 a, a very dark piece about a 
a teenage girl who's who's harming, who's cutting, and, uh, and who may be about to take that a step further. And it was a very difficult story to write. Um, no, I, I think my stories will, will, will most often and most naturally have, have that sort of play of light and dark in them, that, that, that you will have both going on simultaneously. Um, it would be rare for me to write something that's out-and-out out comic or out-and-out out dark. Um, there is a, there, there, Certainly the, there's a story like the the second story in the book, Wifey Redux, is probably a, as close as I get to an out-and-out out comic mode. You know, it, it, uh, there are a lot of gags, and, and, and I'm playing for a lot of laughs in that at a kind of a satirical level. But more, more usually for me, there would be a play of both. I love that story, Wifey Redux. And it's a story about a man who has a happy life and a happy marriage and a teenage daughter. And he becomes incensed when his daughter begins having sex with her boyfriend. They're 17. And he has an antagonistic relationship with the boyfriend. But then when he breaks up with his daughter, he tracks the boyfriend down at his workplace to force him to get back together with her because he can't bear to see how much pain his daughter is in. Yeah, I mean, above all, I guess, I think what Wifey Redux is, I, I think it's um, a story about a man who's entering middle age and is coming to terms with the fact, are, are, are struggling very hard to come to terms with the fact that youth has flown. And this is all dramatised and, 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 and presented very um, plainly by the fact of his, his, his daughter's own emerging sexuality. And it's complicated, of course, by the fact that the, the daughter is a, a perfect replica of how his his idealized wife was at that age. So there's it's a whole stew of clammy emotions going on for this 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 poor gentleman, and 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 I kind of ramp it up as the story goes along. Um, the boyfriend character Aegon is a, is, a, is a frightful lunk, um, who who the daughter of course adores. So it's it it it's it, it just, I mean uh, technically with a, with a story like that you're just trying to with every paragraph make it more tricky and more difficult for this guy to, to get along. But I mean, I think on the surface, the story is about one thing and always underneath the surface, it's about something just a little bit broader and a kind of an archetypal emotion. And here I think this is a story about, about becoming middle-aged and how that feels and, and, and how men especially, I guess, can, can, can struggle with that. Well, especially because he was about the same age when he started dating his wife, so he knows what's on the mind of 17-year-olds. For sure, and I, and I guess as well, it's, a, it's about a particular type of couple, the couple who have been teenage sweethearts and who have never been outside the marriage and, 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 and who have all sorts of odd emotions then as they, as they go through into, into their 40s and so forth. Maybe what, what have we missed, you know? Um, and 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 for 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 Saoirse, the wife, her kind of um, her despair is is dramatized in a, in a in a in a great fondness for Pino Grigio. She drinks a lot of white wine, and she's very obsessed with the TV show The Wire, especially the the gay killer character Omar. So it's um, it's just ramping it up all 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 the while as as we go along, and it's um, it's also I guess it's kind of there's a lot of um, product placement in the story, lots of, 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 of uh, names mentioned. And it's kind of a satirical piece about the kind of Celtic tiger boom years that, that Ireland went through in, in the, the early zeros um, when it became a very, very um, commercialized culture. Uh, the, the, there was a lot of um, 
you know, mm. people people spending crazy amounts of money on uh, on their houses, on decor, on cars, on on uh, on products, you know. So it, it's kind of a satirical take on that also. And did you have a moment of inspiration? I mean, did you have a vision that starts this story? Like, did you see a teenage couple? Like, how did it all begin for you? You know, I did actually. I I I saw a mother and daughter. I was I, I think I was in. I was in Dublin City someday, um, and and I saw a, a mother and daughter who who just looked eerily alike. You know, the the mother was maybe maybe early forties, the daughter was late teens, and you could just see how how, how some sometimes you see you see that genetic thing where where it's 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 almost a perfect replica. You know, you can see each and the other, and 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 I remember walking past. I can tell exactly now as I think about it where it was. It was it was by the seafront in Clontarf, just outside Dublin City, and I, I remember walking past, thinking, well, "How how does the dad feel about that?" You know, say he say he, he he imagining this woman was his all time perfect lady, and and then he has this perfect replica come up, and of course he's not allowed to feel, obviously, any sexualized feelings. So it's it's it it opens up into a very clammy, murky. Kind of difficult situation, and and then you know short stories need difficult situations. They're really hard to write. They're very difficult, and 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 by their nature, I think that they 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 will draw on very difficult topics and very difficult subjects. And this story certainly does that. You're listening to First Draft, a dialogue on writing produced at Aspen Public Radio. I'm Mitzi Rapkin. My guest is Kevin Barry, author of the short story collection, Dark Lies the Island. Barry lives in West Ireland, and I asked him about the particular way people have of speaking there, and if that is a part of Ireland that he feels has been captured in literature before. One of the interesting things about Ireland, actually, is that even though it's, it's, it's a small, wet rock on, on, on the edge of the, the Atlantic, and it's a very small island geographically. You know, you can, you can drive the length of it in about five hours, and you can drive the width of it in about three hours. But it's, um, what's amazing is the accents change really dramatically within short distances, you know? And, and when the accent changes, I think everything changes. Everything about the person changes. So it's, 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 it's good terrain when you're, when you're a writer like me who, who, who works with voices um, so much. Um, for, for, I mean, for example, with, with the novel that I published last year, City of Bohan, it's an invented West of Ireland city, but the language in that is is it's it's a prediction what 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 the language might sound like in such a city in the middle of this century, and it's um it's sprung very much from working class speech in actual Irish cities that that I grew up in places like Limerick and in, and in Cork, and 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 those haven't appeared in our literature very often, you know, because those those communities simply weren't in in the way of producing works of literature weren't in the way of producing books but it's um yeah i mean ireland is a good place to be if you're a listener um we love talk we're we're we're, we're good at it uh, we we like the sounds of our own voices but what's really interesting is that there's this great babble of glorious conversation going on all the time a cacophony of it but but we say very little you know and it's where you're finding stories is in what's not being said what's going on just beneath the surface of all the talk, the secret power struggles that are going on, the little taunts that have been slyly offered, you know, and it's, 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 it's fascinating stuff. And especially when I, when I must say, when I hear Irish men talk to each other, I'm, I'm, I'm very often reminded of a line I read once from Norman Mailer when he said that 
whenever two men say hello to each other in the street, one of them loses. And I think he could have been very specifically talking about Irishmen there. There are always these secret little battles going on just beneath the surface of the talk. One thing I noticed is you have a lot of references to films and television in your stories. And I'm wondering about the influence of these media forms on your life and your writing. Sure. I mean, in terms of, uh, I guess it's it's got to do with, your, with, with age, you know. I mean, I, I'm 44, so born 69. So you're talking about a child of the 70s and the 80s and the 90s. So, I mean artistic influences on me of course there are literary influences but just as important would be the films i grew up with and the tv shows i grew up with um and i and i think it's very common to a lot of writers of my generation we we would tend to write in term in in scenes you know and because that's just naturally how we process stories now and how, and how we how, how we offer them up um and it's 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 clearly it's it's a golden age in in, in terms of um right now in terms of television drama some some of the best narrative art out there, I think, is happening in 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 American television drama and shows like Mad Men and The Wire and Breaking Bad. This is brilliant, brilliant storytelling, you know. And that there is a, a a quite worrying sense that the heat has moved from from the storytelling heat has moved into that form. Every writer you meet now is talking about doing a TV project. It's um, and it's a really great thing for young writers now to be able to go out and buy a box set of DVDs of, of, of Breaking Bad or The Wire or Deadwood, the wonderful show Deadwood, because these are masterclasses in narrative art, how to tell a story, how to enter a scene, when to leave a scene, how to do the dialogue, how to structure it over the course of a whole series. And it's really interesting, of course, that shows like this, they, they, they steal a great deal from the novel. They steal, if you, every, every season of, of The Wire is like a 19th century Russian novel, you know? You have to do a lot of work in the early pages or in the early episodes. You have to learn a particular patois way of speech. You have to learn a wide cast of characters, but then you suddenly become hooked about 120 pages in and you can't leave that old Russian novel down or about three episodes into a season of The Wire where you're suddenly watching two a night or three a night. Let's watch one more before we go to bed, you know? Those shows steal so much from, from, from novel, novelistic technique. I, I think it's time that writers um, stole a little back. And, and, and for sure, TV drama and film drama is, is, is a huge influence on how I write, how I structure scenes. And it's, it's been great fun over the last few years now. I've written scripts for short films and I have some feature, feature projects in development, including City of Bohan and an adaptation of the novel. I've noticed that there's a lot of talk of ale and pubs in your stories. I guess so. I mean, and, and, and Irish people are not unknown for, for, um, for a fondness of, of, of taking a drink. And it's very difficult to um, write about Irish men without, without, having a lot of, without having a lot of alcohol involved. And it's, it's you know, it's, and it's a very kind of a, it's a very mixed thing here. You know, it can, it can be a, it can, as we all know, it can be such a wonderful thing. And it can be such a, a destructive thing as well. And, and I, I think both elements of it come into the stories. You're listening to First Draft, a dialogue on writing produced at Aspen Public Radio. I'm Mitzi Rapkin. My guest is Kevin Barry, author of the short story collection, Dark Lies the Island. The collection is a publisher's weekly top 10 fiction pick for fall 2013. I asked Kevin how many hours he writes a day. 
I would suppose I'd get to my desk usually about nine or not long after, and I would be in the room until about one o'clock. And I will not be writing for three or four hours, but I would be there. You know, I would be at the desk, and sometimes I'd be drooling. I'd be looking out the window at the rain in the County Sligo Hills and I'd be bouncing a little rubber ball up and down off the wall. And maybe I'd be writing for 20 minutes that morning or 10 minutes. But you discover that a great deal of it is to be present. Is to, You're making a pact with your subconscious. That's what you're doing when, you're, when you decide you're going to be a writer. You're saying if you're... If you're, you're you're saying to your subconscious, and this sounds esoteric, but you're saying to your subconscious, if you send me material, if you give me stories, I'm going to be there for them. I'm going to be at the desk and I'm going to write them down. And and it's, I mean, if I'm in the, in, in the room seven mornings a week, there are probably one or two mornings where it seems to be going well, where there's a sense of flow. Most mornings you feel pretty slow and the mind seems to be working very slowly and there's nothing much coming. But ultimately you discover that these are actually the mornings when the work is happening because it's all slowly percolating at the back of the mind. And after three or four of those slow, dreary, dull feeling days, you very often get a day where suddenly a thousand, twelve hundred words just flows onto the page and just gets there. And it's all just been readying itself at the back of the mind. Can you share something written by another author that influenced you as a writer? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think as a short story writer anywhere, but most especially as a short story writer with an Irish accent, it's utterly impossible not to be not to be influenced at some level, at some subliminal level by what Mr. James Joyce did in his collection Dubliners. Um 110 years ago now it appeared almost and the terrifying thing about the collection Dubliners is that he wrote these stories when he was in his early 20s and they're, and, and they're just so 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 you, you come back to the stories of Dubliners at different times in your life and it, the, the stories seem to have changed on the pages you know you, you understand some more each time I think it's the mark of a, a great writer you get this in Chekhov also is that as you gain more life experience the stories speak more to you as you go along and I just want to read a little from the story A Painful Case towards the end of that. When he gained the crest of the magazine hill, he halted and looked along the river towards Dublin, the lights of which burned redly and hospitably in the cold night. He looked down the slope and at the base, in the shadow of the wall of the park, he saw some human figures lying. Those venal and furtive lobs filled him with despair. He'd gnawed at the rectitude of his own life. He felt that he had been outcast from life's feast. One human being had seemed to love him, and he had denied her life and happiness. He had sentenced her to ignominy, a debt of shame. He knew that the prostrate creatures down by the wall were watching him and wished him gone. No one wanted him. He was outcast from life's feast. He turned his eyes to the grey, gleaming river, winding along towards Dublin. Beyond the river, he saw a goods train winding out of Kingsbridge Station, like a worm with a fiery head, winding through the darkness, obstinately and laboriously. It passed slowly out of sight, but still, he heard in his ears the laborious drone of the engine 
reiterating the syllables of her name. And why this story in this uh, passage? I guess I remember when I read um, Dubliners first, I was about 17 and I can actually date it precisely because in my copy of Dubliners, uh, the, the, the first page shows that it's due back to the Limerick City Library in 1987. So I can, I, can, I can date exactly when I read them first. And at that time, I think it was the famous story, The Dead, that's, that spoke to me more. And then I think when I went back to the stories in my late 20s, I, it was a story like Two Galants that I was really drawn to, that I found stuff in. But, but increasingly now when I go back to Dubliners and open the pages, and I do so often, I'm especially struck by the, by the, the, the story of Painful Case. It's a story about a man who, who, who knew one, one love in his life, one possible love, and he denied it. And he denied it to himself and, and to the lady. And it's just, it, 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 it is, it's, it's titled A Painful Case, and it's an incredibly painful story. But there has, there has there's a beautiful melancholy just, just sort of underpinning every, every sentence, every line. And, and as you read this and you, re, you, you, you realise with horror that he was in his early 20s writing this stuff, and you, you, you're kind of looking as a writer for him to slip somewhere, for a slip in the rhythm, or for just, you know, an overfed adjective or a, a misplaced verb, and... and all you find yourself doing repeatedly is just sighing and going, oh, God, you're so good. You know, he, he never misplaces a step even once. How about a, a passage from something you wrote? It could be something that was hard or tricky or something that changed or just something that you feel you succeeded at. Yeah, the, the title story in Dark Lies the Island, again, it's a, it's a very dark story about a young girl, teenage girl who's cutting, who's harming, um, who may be about to bring that further. And I wrote the ending of this story, the last paragraph of it, I guess more than 40 times. Um, and for a long while, it was a very dark conclusion to the story. There was, there was basically, there was blood all over the page, but ultimately I just couldn't go with that. And I, I just had to allow a tiny gleam of light or hope at the end of the story. And, and, and in the end, that was the version I, I went with. So I, I will just, um, read from the, from the final paragraph of that story. She looked down on the dark of Clue Bay and the tiny islands that lay in the murk. The cloud bank shifted a fraction as though cued by a smiling choreographer and light fell from the quarter moon and picked out a single island, a low oblong shape, and it was lit for a moment's slow reveal. She took a step that was a step outside, yet again, as though from a chrysalis or trap. Darkly below, the moving sheets of water were reliable, never-changing, mesmeric. The hill shapes picked out against the night, the islands and the Atlantic beyond. She sat on the wet ground. She closed her eyes and knitted her hands around her knees. She huddled closer to herself and went deeper. She closed her eyes and allowed the world without to fade for a small while anyway, and for a half a minute, and then a whole one, and then more. There was something just a little like sleep. Are endings generally hard for you? Endings are, 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 are torturously hard very often. Um, you kind of you kind of know when you've got the note of it right, and, and, and most of Mostly, if a story is working, working well along all of its kind of 
component parts. You, you, you'll recognize the finish where it comes. But it was just the tone of the story at the end. I, I, I felt ultimately that I wanted to allow some light and some hope and maybe this discard at some future. Um, and it was a difficult one and it was a tricky one. Um, but I, but I, I, I'm satisfied with, with, with the ending that I have on it ultimately. But yeah, and endings, endings are, are, are difficult. You're listening to First Draft on Aspen Public Radio. I'm Mitzi Rapkin. My guest is Irish writer Kevin Barry. His short story collection, Dark Lies the Island, is being published in America and comes out next month. The collection is a publisher's weekly top 10 fiction pick for fall 2013. I know you live in an interesting house in West Ireland. You converted an old police station into a house. Is that where you write? I write in my old police station in County Sligo in the northwest of Ireland more often than not. And if I look out the window, I see a smoky gray lake and essentially a kind of a swamp and some cattle and some hills. And it's a fantastic place to write because there are almost no distractions from the page. Um, it's a very quiet part of the country. There's not very, not very much to, to, to draw me out there. And mostly the rain and the wind will keep me inside. And I've got a nice workroom with a fireplace. And my desk is faced away from the view, so I'm not too inclined to sp- stare out into space. So it's, um, yeah, it, it, it's, 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 I've moved around a lot, a lot in my life, and I've, I've traveled a lot. And when we found this house about seven years ago, now we kind of knew at once that this is this was the place, and 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 this was a good place to um, to make to make to make your stories, you know, and then and 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 to be based. And what do you do, or where do you go to get away from writing? Well, I I've long since discovered that I'm there's absolutely no point in me trying to write in the afternoons. It it just it just doesn't work for me then. Um, so what I do is I I get on my my trusty steed, my bicycle. And I go out and cycle around around the drizzly County Sligo Hills. And I just kind of let my mind unspool and, and, and let all the kind of, um, let all the material of the morning just kind of try and flow away from me as I cycle around and I cycle up the hills. And as I exert myself more, I guess the, um, the endorphins get stirred up and I start to feel happy. And I make up little country songs and I sing them aloud as I cycle around. And the farmers of the vicinity consider to consider me to be a, a little bit nuts, maybe, but in a in a nice way. So that that's what I do. I I I take to my bicycle. And who do you show your work to first to get feedback? Well, my first reader is 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 my wife Olivia. Um, she's most savage and and brutal critic you can imagine. So that's a very useful thing to have in the house. Um, and then I show my agent Lucy the stories. So it's um. If both of them like something, I, I, I know I'm onto a good thing. If one of them likes it, I know I may be onto a good thing. And if both of them hate it, I kind of know there's something wrong with it. So it's, um, it's, it's, it's really, really useful to have that double act there. And how have you dealt with rejection? Um, the most dramatic instance, I guess, was before City of Bohan appeared in a novel. I'd written another novel that came very close to being published. And, and, and ultimately wasn't, even though several major publishers had, had spent a couple of months kind of humming and hawing and thinking, yeah, maybe we'll do this, and then decided ultimately not to. And I, I, I was presented with this reaction, I, rejection, and I think I dealt with it very well because I just said, fine, I'll, I'll write another one, you know. Um, and I sat down and began another novel and, and, and wrote it very quickly inside a year. And I, it was at that moment, I think, I knew that I was a pro. 
you know, that I, I, I was going to keep going no matter what. And what is your favorite word? Melancholy. You've been listening to First Draft, a dialogue on writing produced at Aspen Public Radio. My guest was Kevin Barry, author of the short story collection, Dark Lies the Island. You can follow First Draft on Facebook. Just look for First Draft, a dialogue on writing and click like, and on Twitter at First Draft APR. You can email me at firstdraftwriters at gmail.com. The theme music for First Draft was produced and performed by Murph Mahaffey. I'm Mitzi Rapkin. Thanks for listening.